Hello and welcome to the Future Proof podcast from the north of England with Sarah and Stephen Waddington. We'll be talking about what's hot and what's not on the internet in marketing, media and public relations. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Stephen. So, Ruth Davidson, she's in hot water, Brexit comms, can't make head and tell of that. Disinformation and journalists, there's a lot of that about. Facebook and political ads. This is a long list of stuff. There's so much to go out there, it's all good stuff. Influencer marketing governance, it's a piece of work. Future Proof published. And did the Ofcom report, I haven't read that yet, so that's a surprise to me. You're going to be talking about that. Let's start with Ruth Davidson, why is she in trouble? Well, um, you'll have seen that there's been quite a lot of hoo-ha. The PRCA came out very strongly. Hoo-ha. Very quickly about it. She's, Big piece in the FT now, though, she's yesterday. taken a job with a PR firm uh, as a lobbyist, but how can you lobby and legislate No, she's providing strategic advice and goodness to clients. Well, that's what the official line was, but there was a slight ethical dilemma, wouldn't you say? I'm trying to think of a metaphor that's <laughs> clever, but it's Friday afternoon, and I'm knackered and I can't. Well, yes, but the long and short of it is PRCA has come out very strongly, said this did not seem to be appropriate. You can't lobby and legislate, which seemed to be a fair way of looking at it to me. Uh, CRPR has also followed suit. And um, yes, it's uh, there's a lot of discussion about it. Let's put it that way. 24000 no, £50,000 for 24 days work a year. Nice if you can get it. That seems to skew the figures for income for a practitioner right well certainly not what i'm earning in the northeast let's put it that way um so she's been paid a lot of money as well so yeah it's just a weird story isn't it and and somebody who's talking about you know being purposeful and 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 upholding values within organisations surely must have seen this coming. You'd have thought so. I mean, I've got to say, let's not lose sight of the fact that Ruth Davidson, I think, is an extremely inspirational leader, actually. I think she's done some fantastic work. It's just a shame. Well, she saw Boris Boris saw her off, actually, but she, she, you know, she walked when Boris was appointed and said she couldn't work with him. Fair dues. But the long and short of it is, I think, uh, perhaps a little misstep, but let's see how this plays out. Oh, and we're on to another uh, Brexit comms. There can't possibly be anything good to say about that. Well, <laughs> the government has just pulled its um, own advertising campaign about Brexit preparedness. Didn't work. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, had had limited cut through. But uh, the long and short of it is we're not actually leaving on the 31st of October now. So, you know, they've had to change that messaging. But I think um, while everybody's exhausted about Brexit, let's not forget it is a really good opportunity for those in the PR industry. We want to be taken seriously as um, strategic practitioners. And actually, this is where we can come into our own. We can help guide and navigate organisations through this turbulence and change and make sure that they're prepped and just really go back to governance and make sure that they're they're shored up. You know, I attended a, an event um, led by CIPR Northeast and PRCA Borderlands and Northeast Group uh, and I know both of the um, organisations have followed suit in terms of further information. But, you know, there are lots where we can, dip, we can be doing in terms of situation analysis, risk assessment, contingency planning and stakeholder um, communications. And let's not forget, 
forget that we can provide insight um, and, and measurement on campaigns all throughout this, but certainly that insight piece in terms of what is happening, what's being said, what does the organisation need to be doing. But all of us have a duty to make sure organisations, that our employees are doing something because research is showing that there's still a huge swathe of, of businesses that are just not. Yeah, I'd say most aren't, right? Unless you're a large enterprise organisation that's had risk planning in place, I don't think you you have. And this latest campaign just hasn't worked. £100 million spanked against the wall and hasn't worked because if you're going to advertise, you need to have a clear call to action. The call to action in this case is for a date that you know, was movable at best. Uh, and the information online wasn't terribly detailed. I think what's happened is there's been a number of bodies, including the LEP network, who've, who've been trying to help with that and provide much more practical step-by-step advice. And I think that has been welcomed and um, and it should be welcomed and people should act on that. Uh, and I think just doing a cursory research on... on that, so know, that event... We, Brexit prepared. Being that Brexit event we went to, that you helped organise up in the northeast. Uh, were with, with the was it Northeast Lab? It was the Northeast Lab. It was um, we had a, a local law firm as well, Square uh, Square One Law, and the Northeast England yeah. Chamber of Commerce. It was really good because you got to see the key things that you should be thinking about, and that includes what about your people? You know, if you've got European staff, are you helping them apply for uh, settlement status? If you're going to be exporting, have you got an EORI number? You know, there's there's some just really key things that you need to think about, um, but that is set out there, so it's worth having a look and and know that certain LEPs have uh, Brexit toolkits and, and they do have some really practical advice in so if you want to get in there and be able to liaise with your management team and provide guidance that's quite a good place to start. Let's talk about uh, well an advertising campaign that itself <laughs> wasn't based on completely factual information to the role of media in sharing disinformation so I, I think for, for it's weird isn't it that that uh, media literacy has become such an unfashionable subject within universities when it absolutely should be because we're seeing played out in front of our very eyes every single day at the moment examples of framing where the government specifically number 10 continually move the agenda on around different Topics. Very Trump-esque. So what happens is there's a story that goes against what they want, so they might have lost a vote, and they very quickly come out with a spin on it, so that actually the story moves along, right? Well, so so this happened last Saturday. The Letwin Amendment got voted through, which resulted in Downing Street sending the letter to the EU asking for an extension. How was that played out in the media? Not that... Um, it had not... been done, and that, that we weren't going to hit the 30, 30, 31st when he said he was going to die in a ditch talking about our beloved Boris Johnson. But what happened? No. He'd sent three letters. He'd sent three letters. One letter. I hadn't signed the one that... One letter without a signature. The which one he didn't was, need to sign, by the way, in terms no. of protocol. So, one yeah, immediately moved the story on, so it was a completely different narrative. And, and we've seen it We've seen it this week. So the Withdrawal Act wasn't brought before Parliament because Parliament voted to against the government to change the timetable for scrutiny of the legislation. What happens? Boris Johnson immediately says, right, we're taking the Withdrawal Act, we're suspending it, we're taking it off the table while we go and figure out what we're going to do with the European Union. And then says, we want an election. So the story immediately is, 
Boris Lydia taking pushing but there's the a bigger problem election. isn't there so there's that that kind of tr- Trump-esque approach to comms in terms of shifting the narrative as quickly as possible particularly when it's going to be negative so no it, it works but there's then this other issue in terms of number 10 sources so Peter Oborn who is the former political editor for the My Telegraph own. Telegraph, Telegraph um, has come out very strongly on this he did a piece on I think it's called Open Democracy but it's also been on Channel 4 and it's worth trying to hunt that clip out and having a look and he talks about the media being gamed managed and manipulated by Downing Street sources now that's a very strong thing to say he talks about the betrayal of journalism and he says that there are some modern very well-known journalists who are so pleased to have inside access as they see it that they're not scrutinizing what they're being told and are just repeating what a number 10 source is saying and that is dangerous because actually there's no one to attribute it to so they can say anything they like and then Downing Street the government can actually deny it but secondly, there's no we we just take it as fact rather than giving it you know doing some due diligence and checking it out. And and even MPs have said that they don't like this number ten source because they can't go back to that source and say is this correct because there isn't a name to it. So actually, quite a you know dangerous situation to be in. It's back to this you know trust in media, trust in you know our democracy at the end of the day. So Mike Hind made the. Point. He wrote a great blog for me. Actually, he, was a, he didn't write it for me at all. It was a thread he posted on Twitter when he spotted what had happened over the, the, the last weekend with the Letwood Amendment and the triggering of Ben Act. He wrote a piece where one of the points he made was journalists excited to get to the story and racing to get to the story on Twitter, trying to outbid each other with their number 10 inside sources are acting as amplifiers for this nonsense. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that, that's the issue, isn't it? And again, that's how the speed of, yeah. of, of that, that pace of story yeah. uh, gets out. And we all know how fast things move on, on social. Yeah, big, big, big problem. And of course, you know, this, 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 there's so many different facets to this big this issue at the moment. And, you know, you look at Facebook and this whole problem that we don't have regulation of political adverts online. Now, DCMS came out earlier this year and said we needed emergency legislation. That seems to have been kicked in the long grass. There seems to be no appetite from our government to implement that, which is really interesting now that they're wanting a general election. And then, of course, you've got the other side of the pond. You've got um, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I think that's how you say it, who um, was absolutely brilliant yesterday. And you might have seen uh, the footage that's been... Washington. Yeah, shared around of that, of her holding uh, Mark Zuckerberg finally to account, someone really finally putting some difficult questions to him about saying you allow political adverts that you know to be lies on your platform, what are you going to do about it? And so this, this is a, you know, it's a really big issue at the moment. How do we know things are factual? How can we trust our media? You know, who is doing that fact-checking? You know, who do we turn to? You know, it wasn't that long ago that the government was saying, oh, the public are sick of experts. I think, well, actually, we need experts more than ever. Yeah, we've, sh- we've had a, a discussion, though, on... on... Twitter about this uh, fall in trust in, in the media, you know, is that not necessarily a good thing? Because you do not want to have any trust at the moment in 
the media. And so a healthy distrust surely is damn sight better than a level of trust. Well, yeah, someone did say that everybody should be. I think it was Arvind Hickman from PR Week said, you know, everybody should put a critical eye on anything they read. And that's, that is really good advice. But we need to, you know, you would think that from some of the mainstream media, you would just be able to believe what they're saying. For example, the BBC. I've had the BBC in a really difficult position. Around. Me too. And do you know what's interesting? And, and let's pick up the Ofcom report right now, because one of the bits from the Ofcom report is that it it said about BBC News that it should be more willing to call out lies and let its reporters challenge extreme views on air rather than try and do this impartiality thing where you have to provide both sides at the same time. So that was really, really interesting. So the regulator actually said, BBC journalists should feel able to challenge controversial viewpoints that have little support or are not backed up by facts, making this clear to viewers, listeners and readers. It does not break rules requiring due impartiality. So, so look, let's talk about our further one of our favourite BBC journalists, Laura Kunzberg. Actually, I, I, I like Brexit cast that Laura participates in, uh, along with another um, um, Katia. Uh, along, along with the yeah the Brussels mm. correspondent, they're a great show, but she actually says on her Twitter bio, I know it's not fashionable. Sorry, I know it's fashionable, but even in 2019, there is nothing big or clever about shooting the messenger. I'm sorry, a journalist isn't a messenger. They don't replay messages. A journalist should scrutinise and question messages and then provide their own investigation and, and, and perspective reports. on them. No, I agree. So she's not a messenger. But, you know, time and time again, you do see us and, and, and um, signalling or, or just amplifying the number 10 source. Yeah, and, yeah, it needs to be addressed. It'd be interesting because obviously this is great get, getting quite a lot of heat at the moment there's a lot of heat around it and um, it'll be interesting to see where this this goes to next because even MPs like I say even the MPs themselves are saying we don't know who this source is we've got an idea we don't like it we want we want it to be named from now on so it you know there's going to be pressure from all different sources so it's a watching brief that one sorry this self-common report I haven't seen it what's it about what's it called so this is really good this has only just come out it's uh it's just that the headline really was that the BBC was at risk of losing young audiences. And it's interesting because even it, it, the things that it creates, young people are more likely to see it on Netflix. And actually, you know, stark findings for the BBC, fewer than half of Britain's age between 16 and 24 watch a traditional live BBC TV channel in the average week. And younger viewers, like I say, twice as likely to watch the pro BBC programmes themselves on Netflix uh, than on iPlayer, which is quite telling. Basically, what we're saying is the younger generation won't even know it's a BBC programme because they're, you know, they're sourcing it elsewhere, which I think is really interesting. And also, young listeners, twice as likely to listen to commercial radio rather than um, BBC uh, stations. Yeah, so oh, BBC Sounds annoys me at the moment. Everybody hates BBC Sounds. Oh, it's a lovely, you know, it's good keep idea. turning everything off so everybody uses it, but everybody hates it. You can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to build their own audio platform like they have done with the player service. But, oh... It's just mangled. Right, where we're going to go now? Let's talk about fake, uh, future proof. Fake proof. Fake proof. proof. <laughs> that as well. Future proof. It's not fake. It's all genuine. So excitingly, we have hot on the heels Ooh, of the. Which is exciting. Oh yeah, because it's a great piece of work. But hot on the heels of the guide on disinformation and fake news. Just a little plug for that. And um, we have brought out a fantastic guide 
two, influencer marketing governance, because we felt that was a big gap in the market. And um, big thanks to you and Scott Guthrie, um, who co-authored that with contributions from the fabulous Jake O'Neill at Vulio, who've always been a great you know, future book supporter. Hang on a second, let me say my thank yous, as well as Andrew Terry at Evershed Sutherland and Rupa Shah, who's from Hashtag Ad Consulting. Go on, you can butt in. Now. So Rupa uh, was at the ASA adjudicating or involved in a lot of these um, discussions around influencer marketing. But the, the number actually of... of ongoing complaints is just the thing that horrified me so there seems to be some you know there's a lot of discussion this week about um, how this guy came about and what the motivation for it and simply I went for a drink with Scott a few months ago uh, and we were just kicking about the fact that there are so many so many complaints still being raised and adjudicated on by the ASA. The ASA has issued, I think it was 16,000 last year, social marketing advertising complaints, which is the type of complaint on which, under which uh, influencer marketing falls. Um, there were 16,000 complaints, about 14,000 online ads and yeah. social media posts. It's ridiculous. So the issue is influencer marketing sits in a really tricky space between paid and earned media it also then you've got overlaid the issues of the platforms like facebook instagram and twitter if you paid to post you absolutely have to disclose that it's very very clear how you disclose it so there's absolutely no excuse for getting it wrong but then there is an area there's a whole area of nuance developing around public relations and and earned around the fact in regulated industries like healthcare like aspects of health and wellness like tobacco and such like you know there's absolutely clear guidelines on what you can and what you can't do and there seems to you know there seems to be this belief that this is an emerging area of of law you know and we're waiting for parliament to legislate on on what's right and what's wrong it's absolutely not andrew terry writes within the future kind of very clearly citing um where where the real sort fall and you know it cannot be any clearer from the asa or the cma about you know what we should do and what we shouldn't do the pr industry though seems to have avoided it or it's avoided education around it and there's just well we filled more. that gap we fill that and gap. you can get cpd points for reading that guide from the cipr and the prc absolutely it's interesting to see the cipr has decided it's going to create a panel uh, which is good we need a stronger voice in the public relations industry around this issue I would encourage it strongly, though, to work with the agencies and the brands that are spending the big dollars running the campaigns around this. So really important because otherwise the marketing industry is just going to jump all over it and own it. And I think that's us done. Oh, what's next for Future Proof? We're having a pause. Not having a pause. Since when do we ever have a pause? We need a pause. I'm having a think about it. Well, it'll be five years next year since uh, I founded it. So I'm having a think about that. I think probably the big focus will be back on socially mobile because we haven't right. managed to quite get it up and running yet. Um, Charity Commission feedback still says it needs a little bit of work. So, yeah, thinking about that and uh, how that moves forward. Do you see the, the sorry, talking about... Social enterprises, the the enterprise that we W launched yesterday. Superb, brilliant really about bringing you know make creating its own diverse teams. I mean, what a yeah. brilliant move! I a huge kudos to them. Yeah, 
And also, to Elizabeth Bananuka, I should mention, she's got a conference coming up. It looks absolutely superb. Absolutely, you know, loads and loads of uh, VME PR pros involved with it, taking the lead, doing all the all the speaking and it is it looks absolutely superb what's really heartening here is is that that so much energy uh, and effort is cutting through at a grassroots level thanks to projects like future proof and the communities you bring together thanks to the work of people like elizabeth you know and, and people like john brown and and w now uh, and you know you really feel the industry is on a march and changes the thought absolutely her conference is called comms in a post mainstream world and it's the very first um bme pr pros conference and i really would say have a have a look at it the speakers are superb uh the tickets are on sale and let me have a look for the date put me on the spot friday the 29th of november and it's at the amnesty international uk human rights action center in london Um, but really it is the lineup is phenomenal i think that's us done Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Future Proof podcast with Sarah and Stephen Waddington. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Mrs underscore Wads and Stephen at Wads. For more information about Future Proof, visit futureproofingcoms.co.uk. Until next time, see you on the internet.